All right, I'm ready. Cool. Uh, you're listening to Public Announcement. I'm Chris Black. And I'm James Ellis. And it's clear. Yeah, man, so Christmas happened. All over again, yeah. It feels a little weird to do the show uh, over Skype. I'm missing the stewed. That's natural, though. You, uh, you need the appropriate gear. Dude, that's just what I believe in. It's a belief set that I have, you know? <laughs> I could be in there fully situated using like an XM87 or the, the Neumann, Neumann, Neumann? I think it's Neumann U87. Neumann U87, maybe? I don't know. Either way, that's the one. Either way, that's the one. It's all good. <laughs> I believe that's what you'd call a large diaphragm condenser microphone large diaphragm (laughs) i like that but yeah i think i prefer that feel like you know i'm not worried about the the sound necessarily that's not my focus you're just saying that you'd rather be sitting in a well-appointed professional recording studio yes exactly you got it not broadcasting from the black family household in atlanta georgia Perhaps using Skype for iPhone? I mean, to be honest, I'm into this podcasting with my Apple earpods. You know, I'm on the porch. It's 70 degrees outside. It could be worse. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to bitch and complain. (laughs) Are you at the house? Yeah, Aaron and I have been, you know, just taking it easy. Staying in New York for Christmas is kind of nice, though. I I forgot how everything feels kind of like a, like a pleasant ghost town. (sighs) I gotta try it. I've never, I've never done it. Anyway, what do you want to do with the episode? Um, I I really enjoyed uh, the playback on this. Yes, this being episode three of our Nashville exploration. This one's good because of all the episodes we've done this year. How many is it again? How many? This will be number 14, I believe. No, um, episode 15. Damn, look at at us putting in work, dog. That's not bad. I mean, you know, when did we start? March? Yeah, the first episode was right at the end of March. So that's um, uh, about one every three weeks, I think. (sighs) Look, I'll take it, man. I'm satisfied with that. You know, in my mind, I should probably be on the air, the actual airwaves um, daily. Uh, (laughs) Naturally. You got to start. We all have to start somewhere. We all have to start somewhere. You can't be too hard on yourself. We're just a couple of radio rookies, after all. Mm, radio rookies. What a fine, fine uh, production from WNYC Studios. You know, WNYC, they uh, they broadcast on actual airwaves from the Empire State Building, I believe. Fuck yeah, man. Exactly. That is how it should be. You seem to know facts. When did, uh, when did WNYC actually start? When was it formed? When were they radio rookies? Yes, yes. Let me, let me look that up. I, I don't know. I do know another fact, however. At some point, WNYC broadcasts from my neighborhood here in Greenpoint. Um, now it's just like a little park where Greenpoint Ave runs into the water. Look at you, man, coming at me with all these facts. It's called Transmitter Park. My buddy Andrew Morey has a little mixed studio uh, right there on that block. Lovely, lovely part of the neighborhood. Mm, mm, okay, mm. okay, all right, let's see what Wikipedia says. WNYC started broadcasting in 1922. Jesus Christ, early adopters. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me, though. Um, I think people know that the real programming uh, comes from WNYC. And uh, what's, the, what's the West Coast one? American Public Media? Yes, yes, the one, with, the one with Marketplace. Marketplace, a fine program that we both be less as guests. Mm. Yes, and let me just take a, a personal moment here to, to shout out former Marketplace producer... Jenny Ament, um, your segment was pretty strong. Mine, on the other hand, was uh, rough. <laughs> Maybe you just didn't catch Lizzie O'Leary on the right day. Lizzie O'Leary was not fucking with your boy. Uh, I think I would have gotten on a bit better with Kai Rizdal. Uh, but yeah, editing is everything. And thankfully, Jenny wouldn't do me like that. So it worked out very well for me in the end. I can't, I can't really complain. I agree, though. WNYC and really all the big public radio brands make the, the strongest work. And I think NPR is more of a, a clearinghouse, a distribution network, if you will. Like, can you name an actual NPR brand show? Like an NPR original? Yeah. Uh, Fresh oh, Fresh Air is, is somewhere else no. in Philadelphia, I think. Um, no, I do. I don't. I mean, See? no. I mean, I don't. I don't think I can think of a single NPR show. What's the What's the morning news one though? That's got to be full brand. Morning Edition with Steve Inskeep and Renee Montaine. Damn, those are fun names, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's that's a good one. That's so that's a branded. That's number one. That's on the board. That's the only one I can think of, though. I mean, I'm pretty sure NPR is just, you know, news and satellites and shit. But (laughs) what they do well is the fucking branding. The casual listenership, you just assume everything you hear on public radio is NPR. 
Where would a conversation like today's with Libby fit into the public radio landscape? Fuck, man, I don't know. Uh, again, because of the, the editing, uh, this might be the most straightforward conversation-oriented interview that we've done. Um, you know, as always, to stay on the public announcement brand, yeah, it is, you know, somewhat wild. It moves fast. It sparkles, bro. It dances. <laughs> it has a very signature pacing. I think it sparkles because Libby speaks the way we speak. Which is high speed, motherfucker. <laughs> Unless you're talking about her accent. She has a legit accent, but yeah, I was I was referring to the speed at which we usually uh, converse. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, I've, I've attempted to uh, slow it down to the listenership. Um, you know, I, I occasionally concentrate on trying to speak more slowly. But man, whatever, man. Fuck that. You know, if you're trying to multitask and, and listen to the, our podcast, you're doing it incorrectly. I, I agree. That's the bottom line. 100%. People shouldn't be able to even rewind if they miss something. It's just that important. <laughs> <laughs> with episode three of our Nashville series, we talk with Libby Calloway. I was introduced to Libby a few years ago by a friend of mine named Lauren Sherman, who's uh, an editor of Business of Fashion. And I, I was actually visiting Nashville pretty soon after we met. And uh, Libby picked me up from the hotel and gave me like, the most grand, thorough tour of Nashville, and we just kind of spent an afternoon together. We need to run down her whole CV. Like, it's a lot of stuff. We should write bulleted lists for people. Like, our guests are so illustrious that I don't trust freestyling the bios, you know? No, you're right. That's that's definitely the more um, professional approach. All right, let me let me stop this thing, and we'll write the bullets or whatever. All right, All right got you, guys. All right. <laughs> Let's see here. Okay, all right, well, we're back. Um... Today, we talk to Libby Calloway. Tell me, Chris Black, who is she? Libby Calloway is a uh, true Southern debutante um, with an incredible speaking voice, uh, a, a very talented and seasoned uh, writer, and in my opinion, she's Nashville's unofficial mayor. Um, she knows everyone, she knows everything, and a lot of that original buzz that Nashville was getting a few years ago kind of all traces back to her if you do your homework. And what do we talk about with her today? Well, we, we talk about her tenure as the fashion editor at the New York Post in its uh, late 90s heyday. We touch on uh, the very important life event of getting uh, turned on to cool music at exactly the right time. Very important. We talk about learning and forgetting how to uh, drink like a journalist. Oh, and let's not forget the Giuliani years in New York City when Avenue A was actually dangerous. Yeah, you know, I only had like three bullets on that page, bro. I can think of other things, you know, anthrax attacks, oh, yeah. uh, the stoner elves at <laughs> famous Rock City, and probably my personal favorite, religious motorcycle gangs. Libby joined us at Jake's office. Jacob Daniel Jones Esquire from the first in the Nashville series a few pods ago. Yeah, and we met with Libby in the same office above Barista Parlor. Coffee theme park. <laughs> Libby Calloway. Um, I have a small PR marketing company called the Calloway, but I've been working like in this industry for about. Well, as it. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the elevator now. Know, right, exactly. I'm like, but I'm a journalist before that. It's informed everything I'm doing. So yeah, I have a boutique PR marketing company called the Calloway. My um, niece is in from Idaho, so I'm going out of town on Thursday afternoon. So let's start with that, actually. You're from where? I'm from Cleveland, Tennessee. It's the center of the universe. It's 30 minutes above Chattanooga. So how far is that from here? It's about two and a half hours. It's not bad. It's like you can, I can definitely go home in a day to see my parents. Oh, How's it compared to Chattanooga? Because I've been to Chattanooga plenty of times. You know, Chattanooga's cool. It's got a thing happening now. It does have a thing happening now. It's like on all of those, like, I feel like 15 years ago, it was on the outsides list of, you know, best cities to be in because there's great rock climbing. There's, you know, sky, yeah. not enough skydiving. There's, what is it when you jump off, when you have Cliff on, diving? Maybe. No. Paragliding. Paragli okay. Thank you. Paragliding. Yes. It's like a paragliding capital. Rock City. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Rock City is like this amazing rock formation on the mountains. I've seen Rock City before for sure. I've been many times. Big fan. I had a friend in high school used to go up there. They go up and get stoned. And of course they get stoned with the people who were dressed up as the elves because it's a whole, it's a whole. <laughs> it's a nightmare. <laughs> that, it, exactly. Right. My friend Sam, somebody came up, an elf came up to him in a costume. He was like, man, you want to get stoned? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Hell yeah. So they like went behind a rock and 
got stoned. You got to say yes to an elf yeah, asking. Right? I, I don't think that that's maybe a one-time thing. So you yeah. got to say yes. I think Lookout Mountain, which is where it's located, is really fascinating because everything up there. There's like Prince Charming Lane and Snow White Road oh, and everything. It's... There's this whole thing, and the country club is called Fairyland Club. But nobody up there wants to admit they call it the Fairland. Oh, it's, <laughs> that's really Isn't funny. Isn't that good? Actually. That's really I funny. I do appreciate that. That's I think so, it's hilarious. Is, are we seeing a renaissance of all Tennessees, like Knoxville popping too? Or am I just... Mm, poor Knoxville. <laughs> <laughs> poor Knoxville. You just want it to like do something that has that amazing sun sphere. Oh, I didn't know that. the 1982 World's Fair. Isn't this a little surprising? I can see how they'd be surprised. A lot of people never even knew where Knoxville was, I guess, before... Uh, they heard there was going to be a world oh, like i was 12 oh, okay, years old okay, okay. i was the prime age to be taken to the 1982 world's fair so you're saying 1982 is the last time they had anything going on pretty much that is my birth year that's yeah. a long time ago that's, no, a long time I, that's ago. horrible i don't want anybody listening from knoxville to think that like knoxville is don't worry we wouldn't we wouldn't cut you that way okay. we, wouldn't, we wouldn't make you <laughs> we wouldn't make you offend once we really began to get a handle on what it was we had here and we knew we had something the world needed to know about that uh well, do you put an ad in the New York Times or do you have a World's Fair? So we opted for a World's Fair. So Cleveland, the town I'm from, my family's been there. We were one of the first five families in town. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, like my great, 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 I'm going to get the greats messed up. It's either three or four greats, um, was president of the Southern Railroad. So he landed in Cleveland because he used to come through it. So it's like my entire family is there, like big family. Yeah. My dad's family, the Callaways, have been there for generations. And then my mother's family, the Easterlies, have also been there for generations. So like when my parents got married, it was uniting these two old Democratic families. So you're running the show down there. I'll tell you who is running the show down there. This is something interesting about Cleveland, Tennessee, too. It's the headquarters of the Church of God and the Church of God of Prophecy. Ooh, both sides. Both sides. Church of God of Prophecy, you know, it's a Pentecostal church. The Church of God of Prophecy was an offshoot of the Church of God that was founded by a bunch of motorcycle, like a motorcycle um, gang. Gang. Thank you. I couldn't think of the word. That's crazy. Isn't that fascinating? I didn't know those guys were into that stuff. And you've got some of the finest in Knoxville, Tennessee that ever lived. Oh, I know. I thought they had like it's other like interests, for you Christ. know. I don't know. We know in the Old Testament that hell is a place. The Bible said the nations that forget God shall be turned into hell. We know that. Do you leave immediately when you get out of high school or do you, you stick around a little while? I went to a women's college in Virginia, Hollins in Roanoke for about two and a half years. It was like, what am I doing? 800 undergrad, all women. You had to go to the boys' schools to like meet any guys, and yeah, it just like, you know, it really sucked. And it was also very demeaning to have to go up and kind of be in this it's like a piece of meat standing against a wall yeah, at a fraternity party. Wait, wait, what, what is this you're describing? The way you, the university system, social system works in Virginia, which is there's a lot of um, women's colleges in Virginia. And there's some a lot of single-sex men's colleges, too. A lot of them went co-ed in the 80s. So there was this big tradition of the women's colleges. The men never really would come to the women. The women always had to go to the men to socialize. Hmm. So in Roanoke, when you would go up to Washington and Lee, which is in Lexington, about an hour away, like every Wednesday night was the night people went up. It was called going up the road. Like going down the Cape. Like going down the Cape. <laughs> <laughs> but you go up the road and, you know, go to the paternity party of your choice and basically stand there and... Wait to get chose. Yeah, wait to get chose. Yeah, it was... That sounds like a bad movie. Yeah, it was not my scene. When I think about that, I think of it like in high college seems too far along for that. I you know? agree. I agree. So, so you got out of there after two and a half years. I got out of there after two and a half years and transferred to UT. I was in Knoxville, so... <laughs> oh, I see. So you've had some experience in Knoxville. I've then. had some experience. Although I had fun in Knoxville, so I have a soft place in my heart for Knoxville. So I graduated from UTK and then worked at this pseudo head shop for about a year. <laughs> what? <laughs> Tobacco enthusiast? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not even. It was like everybody thought that we sold drugs, but we really just sold like Guatemalan ponchos and Doc Martens. Sure. But, the, you know, the, and black light posters. <laughs> so they come in, they'd be like... The important accessories? Yeah, yes. Important leather jackets. And like strippers would come in and buy leather jackets with ones. That's, That's great, great, actually. Yeah. I don't think there's many of those left. No, because they were $106. What kind of pricing is that? Well, that was called 1992 pricing maybe yeah, that's on good. imported cheap imported jackets yeah i was <laughs> gonna say i'm sure they weren't of the highest quality quality biker jacket um so you work at a head shop for so I worked at, yeah a, a pseudo head shop it was actually recovering addicts who owned the the chain what it's called stone mountain 
every indication is there are drugs. <laughs> <laughs> like every single thing about every it. single indication. This is like beyond a mellow mushroom. Like yeah, this yeah, is like- yeah, and that's probably run by Straight Edge too. Or oh, something, definitely. You know? yeah, yeah, it's yeah. gotta be. So yeah, I did that for a while, and then I waited tables, which was actually I loved waiting tables. There's something about it. I never worked in a restaurant. I had a lot of jobs, but I somehow never had a restaurant job. But I do think that those kind of, um, you know, I like worked in store. I did retail stuff. And I just think everybody should have to do that. Oh restaurant God. or retail is the Agreed. most, you just learn so much about people and how to interact with them when you don't want to. I feel, I feel like everybody should have to work retail in a mall, preferably at the holidays <laughs> or wait tables in an SEC football town. It's just a different <laughs> experience. You see things very differently. You after really that. do. So I did that for like a year and a half, I guess. And then I moved back to my hometown, Cleveland, Tennessee, and joined the staff of the Cleveland Daily Banner. So I was the lifestyles editor of my hometown newspaper. I love that. I love right? that too. That's oh, First of all, the great. fact they have a lifestyles editor right? alone is surprising to me. Yeah. There were two people on my team. I mean, like there are newspapers in New York now that don't have oh, two people sure. on a yeah. lifestyles yeah. desk. Yeah. That was the time when that was a major company totally. and like real jobs and like a whole staff of people and, yeah. and presses and the whole, yeah. the whole kit. I learned so much at that job. So I had a whole section on Sundays that I put out with my partner And then I think I had something on Thursdays too, but once a month I got to put the whole paper together. Like one person was chosen. There were only like seven people in the newsroom on a Saturday to put the paper together. So you go in, I had to go to the jail and go into literally the cells and go to the jail dockets and record the worst shit that happened oh, <laughs> and then no. report about it and put it in the jail dockets. And the jail dockets were the first thing everybody in the... Looks at. Everybody That's a looks small at. town newspaper That's a small thing. Town you want to see if you recognize anybody's name. Yeah, it was anybody's kids' names. My mom did that all throughout high school. Yeah, she'd be like, well, you know so-and-so. Just oh, yeah. She, oh, she did that. She, yeah, she loved... Oh, she no, no. Like, she, <laughs> no, she read them religiously to see if anybody I knew was getting arrested. That's and so there, <laughs> A lot of time there was. There was reason to sniff around. Oh, for sure. How long did you do that? Like a year and a half, probably. It was fun because it was, I learned a lot about how to put a newspaper together. This was cut and paste. This is like, yeah. you know, we would print stuff out. We would cut it with a with cutting boards and then you send it through a wax machine and you'd put it on the page. And like, if you need to do a jump, you took a little straight edge razor and like put the jump up physically with your hands. It was fascinating. I think a lot of our listenership just <laughs> definitely does not realize what went into, because that's, that's like hard for people to think about. Like, oh, you didn't just turn on the computer and go into Photoshop and lay this shit out? Graphic arts was like a discipline. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I did pre-press for a little bit before oh, so I moved totally to New York. Oh, so you totally know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It was so much fun. That's a cool skill to have learned yeah. in its time. You and know what I mean? So the whole time I I was there, it being a small town in Appalachia, some of our front page news were people dying from being bitten by snakes in church and strychnine deaths, drinking strychnine, because that's a thing. The Holy the Holy Ghost will save you. You will not die drinking oh strychnine. Oh my God. Yeah. That's like the real charismatic church vibes. Yeah. Yes. Totally. You know, like hit totally. the organ. Lord, we want all that you have. I might just have to have something channeled. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And Lord, if it blows our little minds, let them be blown. What is coming out of you right <laughs> yeah, now? Yeah. Somebody give God praise. They hit the organ, it just happens. I don't know. <laughs> that was that prevalent there, though? Oh, yeah. It totally is from that region. Because we were kind of on the edge of, you know, the mountains. like I'm, Where it really goes down. Yeah, where it really goes down. See, we thought Southern Baptist was oppressive. I can't even imagine oh that. Like, that's a whole yeah, different world. Yeah, the whole world. Pentecostal thing is like hardcore. Very strong. But I've really never really is. been exposed to that in like a real, I mean, you know, in a real way. Yeah. That's just not. But like at the same time I was doing that, I was, you know, I was obsessed with magazines. And I had been obsessed with being in New York since I was a kid. Like, what were I your favorites to... during that era? Oh, I loved paper. Paper is, um, was like that for me too. And it's turned into something different now. And I don't think people realize like what a Bible it was for New York at that. Like it was really important. Like you, yeah. where to go, yeah. who was playing. It was like a calendar almost, yeah. you know it what I mean? And I, they had like the fold out yeah. maps and every, I have some of those somewhere cause I keep everything. So I've got like this whole cache of late eighties, early nineties magazines. Mm-hmm. I don't know where they are right now. I'd gone up to Hudson, New York, not too long ago, just at an Airbnb. Uh-huh. And the people had a big stack of Nest magazines. Oh, those are the Classic. best. So crackpot. And I'd like oh. almost forgotten about it, like that era. And I just poured over them. I was like, I love this house. This right. house is excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm surprised they hadn't been stolen yet. Those are like pretty hard. They're expensive. Super That's some eBay shit. Yeah. They have them at Wilder, actually. They have some they old copies. I've got a couple of copies. So paper and what else? Paper. And I loved, okay, James Truman details. 
Yeah, yeah. When details, I love that. Details and paper are the two magazines that changed so much. Oh, they totally like unrecognizable from what they were in their in their heyday. Absolutely. When details was closing, a friend of mine was working there, and and I was like, I want to do something where we go into the archives and we just pull out a piece a week and just showcase that what it was. And he was basically told me like, that's a great idea, but the boss does not want to remind people. How good this used oh, to be. Really? You know what I'm oh my yeah. God, he's horrible. I mean he was he hadn't talked to the boss about it, but he was yeah. like, I my guess is they won't want to remind people of the fucking heyday and how oh, great we were. They would do like those one page Q and A's, like and David LaChapelle would shoot them and they were just weird. Yeah, it was super awesome. weird. Awesome. And it's Anya, the sex columnist, was great. And like they just did such cool stuff. It looked so cool. It I looked very of cool. those somewhere, somewhere too. Like when you were like sort of dreaming about New York City, like what mm-hmm. was the thing for you? Like maybe movies or some reference point for like what this place might be like Broadway (laughs) (laughs) that's how you wind up for that (laughs) you you were like she's gonna do jazz hands Um, no when I was a kid I used to love Broadway musicals so I begged my parents to take us to New York and I went for the first time when I was 11 probably I think but um, I used to read the encyclopedia entry on New York City, like over and over, just be like, ah, New York. Wow, that's amazing. Actually. I know, right? Britannica? Yeah, Britannica, like the encyclopedia. It was a really long entry, too. It was many, many pages. I hope so. I mean, it's the most important. It's the most important city in the world. I think they can get some pages in the encyclopedia. <laughs> so that, I mean, that was initially what did it. And then I think it was just the contrast of growing up in a small town and knowing that that was out there. Like I used to think about, of course, I imagined all the kids were living like a Whit Stillman movie or something. You know, it's like I'm, I'm sitting here in this little town and everybody's up having this very she-she time. And I didn't really know what New York was, but I knew I wanted to be there. The mystery of sophistication. Yeah. Yeah. What is going on up there? You know, I was going to say I was writing letters. So like, you know, my whole MO was like, okay, I'm going to work at the Cleveland Daily Banner and I'm going to write a letter to, you know, any one of these magazines that I would read. So I was writing all these blind letters to editors going, hey, I'm a writer. I would love to come work for you. And of course, you know, having been in that position now, I know that nobody has time to write you back. Nobody's going to write you back. Yeah, Yeah. But letters like typing up letters on my word processor and sending them off with clips and stuff if somebody did that to you today you'd probably be like oh shit this guy sent me a letter in the mail with clips <laughs> printed out like you got a job like that's great right i know i'd be we like this is to, a great shtick we this might need to go shit. back to that the analog shit really works the you know it could really, really flip works. people around that's what i tell kids all the time I'm like send a thank you note write it out don't send an email send a thank you note they will love it you were sending clips blind just sending oh them. yeah you look up yeah, your address yeah. and mail them and just totally. and you never heard back from anybody no really never never heard back from anybody <laughs> i just think about it like kids riding the white house you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like maybe you'll get some form letters yeah, yeah, something yeah. back but no you're, like, you you're writing an astronaut you know it's the same thing <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly well what was the final catalyst what got you out i applied to grad school I didn't apply to Columbia. I knew I didn't want to be like that serious of a journalist. (laughs) I wanted to write about rock and roll at that point. I wanted to write about music. So I moved up there thinking I wanted to be a rock critic. Although the place that music and fashion intersected have always been where I've had a real interest. Yeah. But rock critic was like a real job then. Yeah, it was was a real job. It was a glamorous. Okay, Spin. That was another one. I love the Guccione era. Spin. Well, it was good. <laughs> because it was great. Yeah. It was just so good. I would get those magazines and I would not even go into my apartment. I would just sit on the steps and read them because I was so hungry. Yeah. What's the the scene? Like when we were growing up, everything was connected to punk rock, hardcore. Yeah. That was the epicenter. So every zine and every label and band and then people and people coming from other towns and you're writing them and you're meeting people. Yeah. Like that was how it was happening for us. But I'm curious in your case, was it more isolated? Did you feel a little more like an island or? You know, a little bit, I guess. It, okay. So rock and roll really entered my life when I was in Knoxville. It's like I always had a real interest in music, but then I started hanging out with people who were in bands and had a real interest in music and turned me on to lots of indie stuff that I had didn't know about. Yeah. And so I got really into the whole the whole women in rock thing was really happening at that point. I was really into the whole idea of, you know, youth culture and feminism and it being a movement within music. I thought that was really interesting. So in grad school, I ended up writing a thesis paper on Riot Girls, hanging out with some of them. And Really? Uh, yeah. We have to have a downloadable version of that yeah, on the website for this, for this episode. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Educate these children. <laughs> right.
Well, to go back to getting to New York. So I applied to this brand new program at NYU, the J School, Cultural Reporting and Criticism, CRC. It was like an American Studies department in the journalism department. It was run by a woman named Ellen Willis, who is known as like the godmother of female rock critics. Oh, wow. She was the first rock critic at The New Yorker. Not the first female, but the first That's rock critic. a pretty wow. incredible title. Right? <laughs> That's pretty amazing. She was so, she, she died of breast cancer probably, God, probably almost 10 years ago now, but she was the head of the department, but she also hired me as her GA. Oh, cool. So, you know, they called me and were like, we want you to come to school. And we also basically, they gave me free tuition for a year too, so... I worked for NYU and went to school. Were you going out all the time? Yeah, going out a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I was in journalism school. Come on, right? That's true. Learning how to drink like a journalist. (laughs) (laughs) I lived in NYU housing for the first six months. I was there on 26th Street. And then I moved to the Lower East Side. I live in the apartment building right beside the Sunshine Theater, which was empty. It was like rats running in and out of it. We were on the top two floors of this building, me and two friends that I had met. And we had a roof and we used to have huge parties. It was so much fun. And there was a club in the basement. So it's like we had a bouncer outside the door. I remember one time I looked out my window and I saw Joey Ramone down there. Just, you know, it was just like... Like real New York shit. Real New York shit. But I was going to the Mercury to see shows and going to like Brownies was still open in the East Village. I went to Brownies. You did? That was still there? Yeah. I I moved there in 2002. So So it was still open. Yeah, that was the end though. Uh, I think it closed maybe two years in, maybe around 04. It started being much more about specifically drinking than actually going out to enjoy music, yeah. you know? So so that's part of my story, too, is I drank so much that I eventually quit drinking. <laughs> yeah. You graduated. I the city drive. You graduated. <laughs> yeah, I graduated. But yeah, so I was at NYU for a year and a half. That was great. I met some wonderful people there, really great folks. What year is this? 1995. That is prime time for me. That's like, if I could be in New York in any era, weirdly, I think it would be like that era. That's like full height of Seinfeld friends. Yep. We're moving back to the city. Yeah. This shit's cool now. Right. We're going to clean it up. Do you know something? I was reading something on the New Yorker's website last night about Giuliani and just his whole Trump allegiance and everything. But I realized that I was there during the Giuliani years, 94 to 2004, and I was there in 95 to 2004. So interestingly enough, I saw that whole Whole era. I saw it clean up. Because when I got there, Avenue A was still scary. You know, I was like, I got to see the East Village still a little shitty, which I'm really happy about. I'm glad that it was still dangerous. I've only lived in New York for like eight or nine years. I've never felt unsafe once. Granted, I'm a big man, so it's yeah. a little different. Maybe when you first moved there and you were living in Bushwick before it was East Williamsburg, that was legitimately pretty dangerous, I yeah, think. Yeah, you get mugged at eight you o'clock at night. You got mugged, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I was doing a house swap with somebody in New York a couple of um, years ago and was in Prospect Leopard's Gardens and was talking to some of the women around. They were like, we don't walk home from the subway by yourself at night. And I was like, oh, really? They were like, well, it's safe. You know, it's totally safe. I mean, all of our kids have been mugged, but <laughs> so yeah. I was like, God, okay. Wow. He's got a knife. <laughs> it's not that safe, guys. I was probably oh, I... just too stupid and drunk to be scared. Well, that's the beauty of being young is that right? now that shit, you don't even, you don't care. That's a knife. You don't care. And you are invincible. Yeah. And it really works most of the time. <laughs> it does. Now, during that era, would you say that, like, the rock and roll kids, did they live in the city? Yeah. Because now everyone lives in Brooklyn. Everybody's in Brooklyn. When I first moved there, all the rock and roll kids still hung out in the Lower East, East Village. Side. Yeah, Lower East Side. East, East Village. Village. You know, I experienced that whole thing change. And yeah. You know, next thing you know, knitting factories closing and moving to Williamsburg. So I'm kind of fascinated by that period where Brooklyn was like, oh, yeah, I guess you can go live out there. Oh, my God. (laughs) I went to Brooklyn, I swear to God, maybe a dozen times. and I lived there for almost a decade. Yeah. (laughs) You're my hero. That's what I'm (laughs) trying. That's that's my attitude, too. But I need to go there. Like, that's the thing is that you can't. Brooklyn. 
avoid it now. What? It's a good place. After I graduated in 96, I was, you know, did some jobs. Like I did fact checking at some Condé Nast magazines and things like that. Worked at the Village Voice doing calendar listings for them, which was really interesting. God, that sounds intense. Oh, it was. <laughs> it was really intense. It was like Chris Gow was still around, you know, and he'd be like sitting over your shoulder telling you not to change words and like his little bitty blips and everything. The idea of someone being at the Village Voice in that time is fascinating to me. <gasps> I know, right? Because nothing was connected. None of it was interconnected. It was all like people typing stuff up and bringing it in and, it, you know, somebody adding it in, like an intern adding it in. Like you'd walk it, physically walk it over to them and they yeah, would have yeah. to enter it in themselves. Yeah. All I know is I was at NYU... I started in 1995. They gave us an email address, but I swear my professors were like, the internet's not going to be anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's so right? great. Except Jay Rosen was one of our teachers, and now I hear him on NPR all the time. He yeah. was the one who was like, citizen journalism, citizen journalism. That's what it's going to be all about. It's going to be reporting online, and we were all a little bit like, "All right, pal. okay, dude, yeah. whatever you say, but you know. You got to pick a side at that point. You yeah, got to really be did. a hater like, or like a futurist. Oh, my God. And these were guys who covered, you know, like the union strikes in Detroit in the 70s, you know, who were teaching our classes yeah. at NYU. And so people who were really invested in paper. And so there was a lot of resistance. There was still this skepticism, though, that this new thing was really going to matter because people had seen a lot of formats come and go. Yeah, It just seemed like another novelty for a while. Exactly. I think it was. And I think like, I don't remember the first time, like, I swear I don't think I had an email address at the Post. When, okay, so I got to the New York Post in 1997, started as an assistant on the women's page. I mean, I assume that everyone knows the vibe. The best headlines ever written? Right. Best headlines ever written. Got to watch some of them being written. It was fabulous. Like, you have to have a certain sense of humor yeah. to want to do that. Like, my old company, we did some work with The Post, and I mm -hmm. thought it was hilarious. I was like, this is so funny to me that we get to do this. Yeah. There had to be some feeling like that, like, oh, this is going to be funny. Let's do this. Well, first of all, I really needed a job. And second of all, <laughs> I think I was just still at that point, just so naive. Like I knew that there were two tabloid newspapers in New York and I knew that tabloids weren't as esteemed as the broadsheets. At the same time, I had no idea about the tabloid war between the Post and the Daily News, which was so hardcore at that point. The Post being like the hotbed of gossip with page six. It was like those guys were kings. Oh, for sure. Ran shit. They ran shit and they scared people. No one loves this more than me. I, like, I know, love I know, that. I, I know, love it. Like, tell me how they Just do having it. that kind of power on some bullshit, like on just like, you can't do anything oh, to me. Yeah. I will ruin your life. I'm untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm untouchable. And there's three of them. You know, there's not, it's not like it's a whole, it's not like it's everyone. It's literally these yeah, few people. Yeah, it's just a couple of people. And most of them didn't have a gossip background either. They were news people. Yeah. What's a good analogy for that now? Are you the sort of like the gawker of yeah. the time? Like, gawker changed everything the gawker stalker changed everything yeah totally. the gawker stalker was the craziest shit agreed people still talk about that like how did these people get away with this but i'm trying to think of like an aggressive publication i would say the daily mail is probably the most probably. as far as gossip goes daily mail is aggressive Pretty raw and i think because they're ahead of us time wise because they're in the uk Good point. they buy the pictures first Mm. They have it first. And I think with gossip, that's yeah, all that all matters. It's all about having it doesn't first. matter if it's true, not true. It doesn't right. matter what the source is. If you got pictures and a bikini and you're first, <laughs> you, you won, bro. You got, you got it. You're getting the bag that day. You won the money. It's crazy. Though. That's what it's about. Yeah, it really is. Oh, this was awesome. This was like in the era of Bungalow 8. The so, greatest nightclub ever? Greatest nightclub ever. <laughs> and I was friends with Amy Sacco, so I got in really yeah. easily. But there was a fashion week party for, I can't remember if he was Puffy or P. Diddy at that time. All I know is that I was on the list, but I didn't get in for some reason. And the next day, the post ran on page six. They were talking about what a cluster the party was. Yeah. And they were like, fashion editor Libby Calloway was left out on the street. <laughs> Guess who called me? Amy oh. Sacco. Diddy. Diddy called you? <laughs> Yes. Wow. He, he had to write the wrong me. to apologize. To apologize. You know that his publicist was like, beep, 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 and handed yeah. him the phone. But that's the power of page six. That's the totally. power of New York Post and page six in that era. Exactly. They were like, make it right. That's incredible, actually. And that's he, awesome. you know, he said it was so great. He, he was like, Miss Calloway, I'm, I'm so embarrassed. I'm so sorry you didn't get in. He was like, actually, you didn't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> For him, it's like another Monday know, night. Right? You know, it doesn't exactly. really matter. It doesn't he was really like, matter. but next party, I will personally come and escort you in 
that's a professional right there. <laughs> so funny. But like that's yeah, that is the power of page six. How long were you there? All the time. I was there for seven years. So did what change in that seven years? Did you see things really shift or was it kind of the same job most of the time? For me? No. Yeah. So I started out as an assistant on the women's page. Now, women's pages to me are just like this ghettoization of, you know, it's like female journalism. It's yeah. like... It makes me so happy that they don't exist much anymore because... I don't really know what that is. Oh, a women's page? Well, at that point, it was like, it was health. Okay. It was fashion. It was family. Because these guys, are, you know, these are old, Austra not old. They weren't even old. They were Australians in their 40s and 50s who were running things. And they were extremely They, they seemed old at the time. Yeah, they, seemed <laughs> they did. They seemed really, really old. And now I'm like, damn it, they're my peers. What have yeah, I become? I know. <laughs> you know, it made sense for them to have a women's page. And of course... I'm sorry, Australia. You're a little bit behind there us. Are, there, <laughs> there, there, there. Actually, I think I've shown Australia on this podcast before. And if not, <laughs> so if not, not, we can start a streak right, right. now. <laughs> Try to fit into every episode here on out. <laughs> but yeah, so I was on the women's page. They finally did away with it and like integrated. They turned to a more lifestyle realm. So basically, it was the lifestyle coverage. Yeah was called the women's page and i think it was five days a week maybe they had different themes for different days but i remember there were a lot of like you know women in power who were who were filing sexual harassment suits against their bosses so we wrote a lot about that that's kind of one of those big that. waves i mean that's all in the news now with roger ailes and everything happening at fox I and mean, that stuff's still going yeah. on doesn't it feel like the 90s was maybe the first? I don't know if it was the first, but there's definitely that wave where it's... Yeah. I think the I think that's the era where it really... I, you know what I remember happened while I was there was Allie McBeal. She was like, you know, the yeah. shining star, the example of a woman making it in a People lost world. their minds over those skirts. Seriously. Oh, we wrote about that on the fashion page. I'm sure. Well, that's a classic trend story. It is a classic, classic trend, trend story. story. Exactly. <laughs> I watched some people go down in flames on the women's page while I was there. You mean people and that you were covering or pe people I was working with? Working with. Curious, like, what way do you mean? Just my boss basically ended up screwing herself in a really public manner. And so after she left, they, they kept the women's page for another year, probably, and then they closed it. But it ended up, there was some, um, oh, I don't know, spying for the enemy going on there, mm. sharing some secrets mm -hmm. happening. It was all, oh, and this was the time too, it was all documented in the Observer. Oh, so wow. I, have, okay. I know, right? So I have all this, all these um, old notes about like what went down. I just, there's no other business where if you have a problem with someone, you publicly roast them in your publicly. publication. It's insane. Like that's if corporations like think about that. You know, some CEO's got beef with another CEO. He can't do anything except talk shit. Yeah, you work in a newspaper. You're like, oh fuck you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna write all. <laughs> right? You're done. It was okay. So this is when um, Michael Gross was writing gossip for New York Magazine at that time, and he called me. This is maybe the early 2000s, and I had gone on, um, was it Match.com? I was trying Nerve. It was Nerve.com. Oh, Nerve. That was the Nerve it era. Was nerve. It was the Nerve era. So was I was on Nerve. Yeah. Somebody had, um, they had used my little blurb like in the back of a magazine. You know how they would do little, little sure. features yeah, yeah. on. So I was like, sure, I can get a free month. I'll yeah. you can run my picture. And of course, they run my picture. And it was talking about emoticons, how much I hated emoticons. <laughs> <laughs> and I said that that was, what will you not be forgetting? give a guy for and I was like using emoticons I hate that shit That's so great. they quoted me on that but he called me and he was like so I see you're on nerve.com and I'm like Jesus slow newsweek yeah, <laughs> you're gonna write yeah. about <laughs> another member of the press being on a dating site it's, it's called self-policing I think is what <laughs> like no one consumes media like media people oh god Love it. Like the level of inside baseball is just like nothing else. Yeah. That's it's, part of the fun. Oh, I, it's, it's the best part. I mean, when I started reading like Gawker, I was like, I didn't know half those people were. When right. Gawker first came out, I was like, I'm just like, what they were saying was so interesting to me that didn't matter. It was just like, a, oh, I'm going to learn who these people are. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to figure this shit out because I love the way this works, the oh way it sounds, God, you know, right? the way it flows. It's great. Yeah. Oh, it's fascinating. I know. It was really fun to watch because that was that time when people were really like writing. There was a lot of that in writing, I guess what you yeah. could call it really yeah. and everything was great for me at the post like i ended up going from being the assistant on the women's page to a lifestyles writer that wrote mostly about fashion to them saying what do you want to do that's great and i was like i want to be the fashion editor and at that time somebody was trying to poach me so i leveraged that for a big raise and a title perfect <laughs> which was great that's the whole point so for years i was um the fashion editor and i went to europe and i 
Do you cover all the shows and everything? Yeah, I went to the, you know, we'd go out and go to all the parties before the Oscars, and it was fancy. How long before you start to feel like a New York pro? Like, at what point are you like, I got it? And t- probably when I got, the, they were calling me the fashion editor. Then I felt like, I mean, that's a, it was that's, a big title. Yeah. When we, when I started covering fashion for them, there was no seat for the post. There was no seat for us. And then I was sitting front row in Paris. That's so what I think like, is so crazy is that this is like, that is the job that everybody wants. And I can literally say I created that job. Oh, at the New York Post. Yeah, at the yeah. Post. That's am- I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I created that job. And I also, that's why when I left it, people were like, what? Why would you leave that? <laughs> yeah. Because there was nowhere else I wanted to go. I didn't want to go to a magazine. You didn't want to do that job somewhere else. No, I didn't want to do that job Because you wouldn't else. have the same freedoms. Exactly. Because I would come up with ideas. They'd be like, love it do it you know i was like we need to do supplements they were like how much money well they didn't really say that they were like come up with a budget and pitch it i started the fashion supplement that is now alexa it was called nypf new york post fashion and we did the first shoots like on maybe the 11th floor of 1211 6th avenue like they were like rupert owns it nobody's on it so you all can use it for photo shoots so that is like a different time. That is yeah. like, we have this it's building over here. Yeah, you guys no. just use that. Just set up a studio, man. They just do your thing. Just, it was seriously, hey, kids, let's put on a show. I'm so glad. Once again, I got to see the tail end of New York and it's being a little shitty. And also I got to see really the tail end of real old school journalism. When you left that job, were you just like, I've done everything in New York I need to do? Kind of. I was so tired. Like, and talk about, hard work working at a daily newspaper and like my beat wasn't even that stressful but some of those guys I mean it's just their life it's it's really gratifying right now to see some of my colleagues like Maggie Haberman who's covering the um, the election for the times it's like she was one of my colleagues yeah. and it's just like really like yay yes yeah go out there she's worked so hard for it and it was so much fun to watch those news people really go out there and just dig I mean they were just like rabid and I was there for 9-11 so yeah. that was like nothing ever. I worked on 9-11. I walked up. Was it like I, all hands on deck? All hands on deck. Doesn't matter what you cover. It was fashion week too. This is so terrible. My first thought when I heard a plane hit the World Trade Center, I was like, God damn it. This is going to mess up my entire schedule. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I laughs> Which think, is now horrible No, think. but I think a lot of people but felt that. Like, oh, what great. the fuck? Yeah. I imagine know. a little commuter plane, deep you know, hitting the side of it. I'm like, well, this is great. They're all going to go downtown, all the photographers. And they did all go downtown. And, you know, some of them didn't come back. So what did you write about it? I forget what I covered. It was such a weird time. What did it feel like? It felt really weird. It was very strange. I also had um, Laura Brown, who's now the executive editor at Harper's Bazaar, had literally moved to New York to live with me a week before. It was her week anniversary. So she was with me on 9-11. And so Laura walked with me to the post. We walked up to the post. And she filed stories for probably the Australian, I think. So I had these friends in town, too, who were with me. And everybody just, like, it didn't matter they didn't work there. It's like, everybody come in. Just whatever you can do. Whatever you can do, you know? But it was hardcore. I mean, like, you know, I saw some pictures that should never be seen by anybody. And seeing those guys come in after having walked miles covered in dust. I mean, it was hardcore. You know, there. okay, so there was that. And then after that, anthrax happened. Anthrax happened from here to that wall away from me. Really? At the post, yeah. Oh, I forgot that it was there. It was totally at the post. They sent it to the editorial page editor. Mm-hmm. And um, Johanna, who was his assistant, Bob, the, the editorial page editor's assistant, you know, she opened all of his mail, and she had this place on her finger, and they thought it was a spider bite. And she was like, I don't know what it is, but it just keeps getting worse. And, like, you know, she had an appointment at the doctor a couple days later, and then I remember, you know, there are TVs everywhere in the newsroom, and it came on that – anthrax had been found in it was um tom brokaw's office his assistant was the other one who had it and they described it coming in in envelopes i remember bob walked out i mean i was literally from here to your brother-in-law away from from johanna and he was like go to the doctor right now and she went and it was anthrax oh my god so we're all sitting there of course you know exposed the cdc takes like four days to do anything about it and then and it's on like, the news. It's like a yeah, story. It's yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. It's an international story. And like it is it is right here, right in front of me. And then, you know, they send the government in. They, the FBI has to talk to everybody, interview everybody, and just go through all that. The hazmat guys came in with the mask. They moved us to a different floor and everything. 
But it was just so funny to watch them come in and try to like give a briefing to everybody in the newsroom who was just like throwing questions at them like, you guys, you have no idea who you're talking yeah. to. Yeah. They're just beating us <laughs> bullshit, platitudes yeah. about, you know, well, this is this is protocol. This is how things happen. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah, you we're going to get to the bottom of this. You're keeping us safe. That's yeah, really so funny. it was kind of awesome to watch. So yeah, it was a weird time to be there. When you left, you came back to Tennessee, right? For, I came back, immediately. Yeah. So I had a moment where I was literally washing my face one Friday night and I looked in the mirror and hey, pretty baby, are you ready for me? it sounds so hippy dippy, but like I felt something in my chest go ping. And I went, Oh my god, I don't want to be here. Oh my god, I could leave tomorrow. And I was saying this out loud to myself in the mirror. And I was like, I can leave tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm going to Nashville. So I got on www.journalismjobs.com. <laughs> <laughs> I dialed up AOL. You know, and there was a job at the Tennessee and and like everything fell into place. How long after you made that decision did, were you here? Three months. Wow, that is fast. I was like ready to go. Everybody told me you can't get far on $37 in a chapter. And I came down, came to an interview over Thanksgiving. And um, I gave my notice the last day of Fashion Week in February 2004. It was really interesting because it was such a singular job and such a good job. I had people come up to me and they were like, God, I can't believe you're leaving this. I wish I could do it. It's sort of indicative of like what the New York food chain is like. It's like once you get to the top, it's like, you know, if you leave, you're going back to the bottom of the food chain. And so people are so scared to step out. But I also had a woman I work with go, don't worry, you'll be engaged in six months. (laughs) I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Sex in the City totally corresponded with me leaving too, it ending. Some other person said to me, oh, don't worry, Carrie couldn't hack it in Paris either. (laughs) God, those are my two big stupid comments. slow to you you know i think i probably had a moment of panic that i didn't do the right thing but i don't think you can make a move like that and not have that moment of panic that you didn't do the right thing but i think also i got down here and after going so hard at my job and after having so much be expected of you like getting to the tennessee and it being good morning How was your weekend? So it just, everything felt like it was in slow motion there in particular. Because I came in like, let's make some changes. Yeah, yeah. you're running hot. Yeah. yeah, and of course, that's when they hire you. They say, we want we want young blood. We want changes. Maybe they don't want anything like no, that. No. So I, I was there for about a year and a half. They're like, you're scaring people. I, yeah. I swear to God, I did. Can I you know. calm down, please? <laughs> I kind of, I might have picked some fights with some people. <laughs> it's like Jonathan came in crying. <laughs> Libby, what did you say to him? <laughs> I think there were maybe some complaints about me. I mean, that that's your job, though. I, I they, know. That's what I had learned. You make people a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it pushes things forward. You push things forward, right. I mean, looking at it now, are you happy to be back in Tennessee? Oh, God, I'm so happy to be back in Tennessee. There's nowhere else you'd rather be. No, there's no place I'd rather be. So I moved here in 2004, worked as a journalist for about a year and a half, two years, and I've always freelanced, so I'm, I mean, I've always written a little bit, but I became a stylist. I worked as a wardrobe stylist for a while and sold vintage clothes during that time. So oh, you were, were you doing like celebrity stuff? 
ish. Ish. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, like, no, you know, country music. Hey, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in Tennessee. Let's it's not discount. Yeah. Okay. No, and that's the reason I knew that I could do it is because I was like, I've got these contacts in New York. Yeah, you can get but them. But there's a huge prejudice in the fashion industry against the country music. Like they just don't want to mess with it. They don't want to mess with it. They don't want to touch you still. Why? There's so much money. Right. There's so much money. And there's actually some really stylish people in the country music yeah, industry. Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything else. It's intimidating, right. though. You're, I think you're used to knowing everything. And so there's this other world that's like, I don't know enough about this to right? fuck with it. It's going to take one point. person. There's going to yeah. be one stylist who just flips it, has three big clients, and gets it all, you know, gets all those girls in like Chanel, and it'll, yeah. be, it'll be on. But, you know, it's interesting, like Faith Hill has been able to kind of buck that a little bit. Andrea Lieberman was her style. I think she might still be your stylist. She was a celebrity stylist, yeah. you know. It's interesting. I was talking to somebody about it today, how like talking about celebrities in Nashville now is nobody really knows what you're talking about when you say celebrities in Nashville. It's like, is it the country music industry or is it like the people who have moved here? Is it Nicole Kidman? Is it? I mean, it feels like such a small town to me. Mm -hmm. But yeah. do people like get wild if they see somebody in public or is it like New York where people just kind of look down and keep it moving? Look down and keep it moving. That's why. Yeah. If that happens, then they will continue to come here. But I mean, you know, you see Cheryl Crow at Target with her kids, yeah. you know, and Jack White's coming and getting coffee at Barista Bar. It's yeah, just yeah. like that's just the kind of, of scene it it's is. It's interesting that it's like New York in that way because that's something yeah. like L.A. is just total opposite. Oh, right. I mean, you see people looky. in New York, you see very famous people walking down the street. Yeah. You know, like household names. When Sarah right. Jessica Parker's walking down the street, for people to not say anything is pretty wild it's, to yeah, me. exactly. You know? It is. Just totally. that level of fame. But here, it's like you just see the damnedest people. Like somebody was saying they saw Martin Short at, <laughs> <laughs> at Margo having dinner. The other Margo's a couple of blocks away from here. But, you know, it's just like random people well, do you show think up. People, do you think because it's cool now and then people are talking about it, that there's people are just coming to check it out? Yeah, I think there is a lot of that. But I also think that the country music industry over the last 10 years has made a really concerted effort to diversify a lot. Even if the fashion industry hasn't realized it, there has been a lot more acceptance, just pop culture in general, yeah. of the country music. I think so, for sure. Definitely. I mean, I think it's become mainstream. It's like pop country has become Taylor Swift, come on. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, also, I think everyone's relationship with success has changed so much since the 90s. Yes. And so, oh, you're making money? Mm -hmm. oh, it makes dollars? Definitely makes sense to me. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas before, I don't know, like a big country star, they're a millionaire, whatever. I don't know. That shit ain't cool. Yeah. That seems like a big shift to me. Oh, I agree. A hundred percent. Yeah. No, everybody thinks it's cool to make money. It's like, yes. that's the ultimate, like, oh, this guy, oh, cool. All right. You're killing it. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I can get into that. You know, yeah. you're transitioning from the uh, sellout phase to like the post integrity. Mm -hmm. Let's just fucking make it. Yeah. Phase. I think the sellout mm -hmm. thing is completely over. Yeah, it's like oh, lame yeah. to even mention it. It's yeah, weird. I think that's good. And that was such a big part of my adolescence. Yeah, like, that's like, oh, yeah, that's the looks, worst thing you could do. That's the right? worst thing you You're could fucking do. You're off the artistic roll call. It's over. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that was indie publishing. That was indie rock. That yeah. was indie everything. everything. You know? And I just, just think like, all that stuff is popular now. Yeah, that's, it is. That's what's popular now. It is. I, I mean, call it the urban outfittersization of, oh, of yeah. the world because it's just like, everything's cool like i don't even know anymore i no, can't i know i can't tell you what's cool. it's impossible to even be ahead anymore because everything's cool you buy don't even punk know. at hot topic yeah you, you can know? buy it anywhere yeah. you can buy anything years, anywhere. right yeah. you really can you know it also makes me really happy that i had those moments like with magazines that i fell in love with those magazines and like i've been collecting new yorker covers since i started getting the new yorker like in 1991 so I've got like almost 25 years worth of New Yorker covers. I've just ripped off every New Yorker cover. I'll keep everything. But <laughs> I see so much. Know, 25 right? years. It's weekly. It's weekly. It's crazy. It's crazy. But I mean, awesome room sometime when I wallpaper a room. Yeah, that's true. No, that's true. But, um, but, you know, I'm glad that I got to fall in love with journalism that way, with writing that way, because I still, even though I consume so much online, it's still preferable to me. Yeah. Although I just don't, I don't read as much as I used to. I mean, it's hard to focus. It really know? is. It is. I, I have a really hard time with it. It too. bums me out. It bums me out that nature I can't. Of the beast. Nature it is of the, the nature of the beast. I ended my New Yorker subscription about six months ago. I was like, I just can't keep up, and kind of felt bad about it. And then they ran a, an election special, and I'm like, I can't not get the New Yorker <laughs> yeah, during the took, election. You took six months off. Yeah, I took six months off. I said, I'm back. <laughs> You're back, I'm back. baby. You're I'm back. back in. They got me. <laughs> 
But it's interesting to watch. I think that there's like like Cherry Bomb and all these really cool indie publications that are coming out now, specialized niche publications are kind of reviving the... That's the only ones that are making any waves. Oh, yeah. You know, the $20 four times a year is the model. And I mean, I buy them all for sure. But I I think it's... um, Subscribing to those Condé Nast magazines is like $8 a year. So if you care, it's so easy to do that. And if you want to buy... I still like going to the newsstand. It's so much more fun. Like, is there something like that here? Is there a place you can go? God, no, there's not. There's not. not, The coolest magazines are at Wilder. Yeah, they have a good selection. They have a good selection. And, like, you know, I had a client who was an entrepreneur. And we were trying to figure out where to buy entrepreneurs. There's a Barnes and Noble on the Vandy campus. That's the only place like in Nashville proper you can really find magazines. You can go to Kroger. You can go to the you know (laughs) the drugstore. K Roger. K Roger. K Roger. You could hit K Roger up and get it, but like it's not. You know, the turnip truck has some new AG stuff. Yeah, it's just it's funny. I mean, I just that's something that you take for granted in New York. Like I live. I mean. The walk from my house to my office, I pass the best magazine store, and I go in it at least once a week. Right. You know? And And it's just, that's something I would really miss, you know, if I wasn't there. Yeah. But I think that's what I mean, making the transition to a place like this is like, you have to want to do it. Yeah. And I did go through a point, like I I said, about probably five years after I moved here, that I kind of got to where I was like, oh, I think I want to go back. And I explored that for a while. And then Imogene and Willie opened, the denim company opened that kind of changed my trajectory. It made me think less as a journalist well, and more as like a content creator. <laughs> and um, I did PR for them. And I realized I was good at PR because I had been a journalist before. Yeah, so you were on the other like, side of it. It's the yeah, same. I work on the other side. So you know what's good and what sucks. And so I've made that my business now. Yeah, tell us about that because I'm familiar. But... Mainly what I'm doing is PR these days. Yeah. I mean, like I think... There's a really nascent um, fashion scene here, so, and I'm really involved in it. The National Fashion Alliance is like a passion project of mine, and there's a lot of designers involved in it that are now my clients. So I've got some small designer clients, um, say an Andrea Eggleston, Electra Eggleston is a textile designer, is a client. But I'm doing really interesting projects like a, um, I'm curating the retail for a new hotel downtown. I'm, I'm doing PR for the hotel too. Just got some really cool projects going on. So it's still stories, it's just a different exactly. form. Exactly, it's just different kinds of storytelling. For a while I thought, well, I'm just going to do fashion PR, but that doesn't make sense here. And yeah. just thinking about it in a little bit looser way, thinking yeah. it, not being as strict about what I'm concentrating on. Like, I really want to do more design work. I want to work with interior designers and designers of product. I want to... One thing that strikes me about your work, though, is that it's the design mind yeah. applied to whatever it is that is entertaining to you. Yeah. Like, is that a decent way of describing that's it? A gr- that's a great way to describe it. I feel like uh, whether it's Billy Reed or Imogene or mm-hmm. could be fashion, kind of things you were doing in New York... You have to think your way through it. You're thinking for a living. You're mm-hmm. once you get a handle on that and you feel like confident in that skill set, mm-hmm. then it's the harder thing, at least for me, has been to decide which thing to focus that on. Exactly. Like where am I going to point this interest? Yeah. Especially for you here, I'm sure you just have a skill set that is rare here. Yeah. You know, it's so you're specific. you're in demand, I'm sure. So then it's having to navigate that whole thing and like, yeah. can I help this person? Right. Can I just take their money or can I actually help them? Exactly. And there's a fine line and I try to always be really honest with myself about that. Yeah. But I think I've got some really good clients that have a lot of potential and so it's been it's been fun so far and rewarding and I've gotten, you know, some people have gotten some good press. Yeah, they definitely have. And yeah. I love the newsletter. I want to talk oh, about you. the newsletter. Oh yeah, that was my that's my other thing and in February I launched the Cal- Report. It's profiles of creative people in town, and I, I try not to put like a definition on exactly what it is. It's just sort of my first one was about Josh and Ivy who own Wilder, which is a really great design store here. And it's interesting, it always goes back to, it's like an origin story of sorts. You know, I talked to them, they moved here from New York, but it became about what makes Nashville special to them. It's like every story ends up being a little bit about Nashville. So there's always that undercurrent in it's it. It's a cool mix of people. And it's, I also think that you are the um, best ambassador Oh, thank you. You know, you, it's just like it's you're, yeah, you're like the mayor. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like when you're I was not explaining, the first person who said that. That's awesome. A little technical curiosity. Um, what does the report run on? Oh, Squarespace. Okay. Is that what you're asking? For the emails. For the specific- emails. Oh, Mailchimp. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna sell me something no this morning we talked to the guy this guy clint who started emma emma oh yeah. you did yeah. oh you yeah. did i know i felt a little bit honestly i went with mailchimp because somebody whose emails i really admire run on mailchimp there's a lot of good options i think uh, yeah just, i don't think clint would hold it against you okay. yeah we were just talking we talked about it all morning so he had to ask you know Okay, so the Callaway Report is at www.thecalloway.com backslash the Callaway Report. Can I do <laughs> I, that? Can you just? <laughs> I, we need you to do www. I don't even know if www. works for publicannouncement.org. <laughs> I'm not sure if it turned it on. I just like to say it. I like the way it sounds. <laughs> I love www. I'm glad that it exists on a website as well as the email. Yeah, me too. Because if I try to do... send, if I try to post it or read, yeah. you know what I mean? It's nice to have that link and you can yeah. go there and it's it looks like a website. And at first normal. it was just going to be, and it started out, so this is how all these ideas happen. I was like, I'm just going to do a newsletter. And it was because all my media friends in New York, you included, were asking me, what's going on down there? Yeah. What, you know, tell me about what's going on and I was like shit I just need to like let them know I just need a list five things yeah. it's going to be five things it's going to go out every other week and then I was like and I need a photo to go with it so I started talking to photographers that I love and they were like well you know if you ever want to do a bigger piece I'd be interested in doing a bigger piece and I was like well, I could do a profile with it now it's 3,000 word interviews <laughs> and I run sometimes 20 pictures <laughs> no that's what makes it that's what I like about it is oh, that yeah. it's like oh this is like a thing it's like deep. you know yeah, you yeah, were saying yeah. earlier like you sit there and you read it you yeah, know it's, it's like deep. you have time it's with deep. it it's just so gratifying that people really want to talk like they yeah. come in and like I do a lot of interviews in my house on my couch and people just open up like Andrea Eggleston talking about growing to primal screen therapy yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know yeah. and it was awesome I was like and then later I called her I was like do you want me to include that yeah. she was like sure yeah, right, whatever absolutely. I said it yeah. totally yeah and like just people are really they're ready to get raw they really want to talk sometimes people it's really awesome. uh, open up on the microphone and then oh, they do. within like 10 minutes they're like <gasps> what did I do I blacked out I'm getting flashes of things I said delete delete delete, delete. delete. redact redact yeah, exactly. That's kind of, I let everybody, and I, I would never do this as a journalist because I think it's really bad form to let somebody read it before you run it, but this is not, I mean, this is journalism, it's a different kind. I let my subjects read because I get the interviews transcribed and sometimes they get the transcription wrong too. I'm going to yeah. blame it on the transcription people, it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you feel good? Uh, we just have some questions. Oh, we got the questions. Oh, they're questions. We're doing, a, we're doing a little, little list of questions for all of our Nashville uh, oh, subjects. Good. So first thing, what record are you listening to right now? Could be new, could be old, whatever. Oh, God, you know, I, I'm such an NPR listener. I don't think I've listened to it. Oh, I do, I do know. Sebado 3. You rock. I've been listening oh. to that a lot, right? That's going to be the best answer we get, I'm right? sure. <laughs> yeah. That's the record that's in my car right now. Is so, it a CD in your car? Yes, it's, it's a Hell CD. Yeah. I've got a CD player. So I guess the question is, like, how often do you feel like in the course of a conversation, someone's going to mention uh, how amazing some pedal steel player is? <laughs> Less so recently than oh. it would have been like five years ago. Nashville's changing. It's changing. Yeah, we got to get out of here, bro. This isn't yeah. what I signed up for. You rock. I don't think I've heard the words pedal steel said out loud in a year. That's good. Wow. Good. Yeah. That's great. See, yeah. that's the kind of information we're trying to uncover. Yeah. Important shit. What kind of fashion decisions are you seeing out here on the street? Oh, God. I feel like everybody looks like they live in Brooklyn. I really do. I feel like it, it and I blame the internet. Everybody looks the same to me now these days. I, I agree with that. It's yeah. it's um, it's Brooklyn, you know, year, a few years ago. I went to a women in business luncheon today at the Skirmerhorn Symphony. I've had a really diverse day. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are old school ladies who wear their Oscar de la Renta to this luncheon. There's still that in Nashville. 
I can pass on the West Side, though, because there's this society magazine here called In Focus, and they just included me in like a roundup of yes. five people talking yes. about it. I know. All right. And I'm like, oh, they just needed an East Side, or they were looking for somebody who could pass. <laughs> next time next time I'm here, I want to go for dinner on the West Side. Right. I'm trying exactly. to go to like... Sparys. Oh, my God. You will shit. You will is it love. like oh, some... Do you have to wear a jacket kind of shit? You know, I don't know about that, but it would be great if you did. Let's I think talk. For sure. I'm interested. There's some, yeah. There's I'm very some, interested. Right? Yes. yes. Okay, I do. You'd love that. <laughs> I'm sure you are, but are you aware of the number of people moving to Nashville every day? Uh, yeah. Well, are you asking me for the exact number? Yes. Because we yes. need an exact. <laughs> yes, yes. It yes. needs to be, it needs to be exact. an integer. Okay, an integer. Okay. Today, somebody said 90 to me. And like, this is insane. <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> today, someone said that. So today, someone said that. I haven't seen that many people today either. I got to tell you, I haven't heard the words pedal steel said out loud in a year, but... Every day I hear somebody talk about how many people are moving to Nashville. Yeah, hey man, look, it's a growing place. I've heard 78 before. <laughs> That's so exact. And they all have two cars, I've decided, because, it, the, it, you know, it's, it's become like the weather to talk about the traffic. <laughs> Every day. Similarly, do you feel that for music venues, you are acutely aware of the cap space? The what space? The cap space, the head count. The last show I saw Brian Ferry at the Ryman. But how many people does the Ryman hold? You know that. Uh, about a thousand, maybe? See. Yeah. That's some Nashville shit. Yes, I guess so. Like it's conversational. Yeah. No, no, I think you are. I think that's the issue. I think you are having that conversation. <laughs> Those are good. Five very Nashville questions. Those are great questions. Are you going to run everybody's answers? 86 people a day move here. That's the last number I heard. No, but that's, what is it, like 100? I heard 85. It's probably 86. You've been listening to Public Announcement. I'm James Ellis. And I'm Chris Black. Cool. Well, thanks so much. Thank really you. appreciate it. It was really fun. It was really fun. <laughs> Oh, God, I love talking about that stuff so much. This week, we'd like to thank Libby Calloway. You can find her at thecalloway.com or just Google her name. The SEO is popping. This episode was engineered by Paul Phelan. Uh, edited and mixed by Jim Nicholas uh, with additional help from Carson Williams. And thanks again to Jacob Jones for allowing us to post up in his Nashville facilities. Feels so good. I feel like I just need to go home and take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is our last episode of the year. Um, I'd like to take a moment and thank our uh, listenership. It's been really fun making the podcast and to know that you're listening. So thank you. Same. <laughs>